my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 502. Uh, Today, technically, technically, it's the first episode indoors since I moved back from Hawaii. Uh, I am sitting parked in my girlfriend's garage right now. Uh, Don't ask why. It doesn't really matter. Today, it was the best place to record. Here we are. Uh, It was hilarious. I had to like slide. I barely could climb into the truck because of how tight it is all around, but we got in. It probably looks like nighttime. You probably can't see anything behind me. I'm in a dark garage. The only light is the light above my camera. It's also very bright, which is why I'm wearing sunglasses. Hope we're doing well. Uh, I've watched a lot more NFL football today. We will talk about, I'm really excited, man. Oh my gosh. There's a lot to talk about. Um, We'll start with this. On Monday night football, the Seattle Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson Uh, It was supposed to be Russ's revenge game, and it was kind of spoiled, which, hey, I bet Seahawks fans are really, really, really happy about that. In fact, I know they are because I've got a lot of friends who are Seahawks fans. Um, And I want to give a shout-out to Seattle's defense. They were outstanding in the red zone. Denver got on the goal line three different times and walked away with, like, they got, what, three points out of it? They fumbled once. They fumbled twice on a different drive. Then the third time on third and goal, they kicked a field goal. Um, I mean, Seattle held them off every single time. It was impressive, impressive defense. And, uh, you know, the only other notable bit of info, other than what I think is a major storyline from this game, but the other piece of notable information, if you're a Seahawks fan, is that their high-paid safety, Jamal Adams, got hurt. He needs knee surgery. He's likely going to be out for the year. It's a big blow. It's disappointing. And very unfortunate because the guy's only 26 years old to be 27 in October. And they gave up two first-round picks in a trade to get Jamal Adams from the Jets. I'm not going to lie to you. He's been kind of a—I'm a huge Jamal Adams fan. I really, really like the guy. I've actually talked to him before. Uh, he, he's been a disappointment ever since getting to Seattle. I, I hate that that's true, but it is true. He's likely going to miss the rest of the year. And uh, it's just a a painful, brutal loss if you're a Seahawks fan. Mostly because of the investment. You gave up so much to get him. And he just has not produced at a high enough level uh, to justify the compensation given up to go get him. Now, my favorite story from Monday Night Football was Seattle's quarterback, Geno Smith. They beat Denver. They spoiled Russell Wilson's revenge game. All that stuff. Sure. But also... Their new starting quarterback, Geno Smith, played really, really well. And it fired me up. I loved it. Because the story is outstanding. He was 23 for 28 passing. 195 yards. Two touchdowns. Zero interceptions. No turnovers. No picks. uh, No fumbles. Look, he didn't blow my mind. He wasn't Patrick Mahomes throwing five touchdowns and 500 yards. But you got to give credit where credit is due. Geno Smith played very well, especially his early touchdown on third and two to Will Disley, where he slid up in the pocket, found him open. It was awesome, man. The first drive for Seattle was great. And uh, here's why Geno Smith is such a cool story. He was a second round pick in 2019. He went to the New York Jets. He was supposed to be the franchise quarterback in New York. And it didn't work. In fact, it went badly. And he was basically forgotten about and, and thrown 
into the garbage and just people moved on and didn't view him like a franchise quarterback ever again after that. He got one shot and that was it. He ended up backing up, uh, you know, Philip Rivers in San Diego. He backed up Eli Manning in New York. Uh, he backed up Russ for three or for two years, I guess. This is his third year in Seattle. He backed up Russell Wilson for two years in Seattle. He spent a lot of time around really, really good. In fact, I would say three future Hall of Fame are very close with Philip Rivers, Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. And he says he learned a lot from all of them. I believe it. Um, he's 31 years old. He'll be 32 in October. And it's been eight years since his first week one opening day start in the NFL. And he played so well on Monday night. He was accurate. He took care of the football. No turnovers, only five incompletions. That dog will hunt. That's good, that's good quarterback play. And Geno Smith looked like a guy who was preparing for years, preparing so that if he ever did get an opportunity again to be a starting quarterback, he would be ready. He was ready for that moment. And I I don't know what's going to happen to Geno Smith. This could be a topic that is, is wasted because maybe two weeks from now, he's horrible. He gets benched. Who knows? But right now, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm fired up because I would love to see Geno Smith have a great year. I was so happy for the guy on Monday night. I was happy for Geno Smith. I was happy for Pete Carroll, too, beating his former quarterback. A lot of drama this offseason in Seattle. A lot of people doubting him. I doubted him. I was like, Pete, what are you doing? Pete Carroll, Drew Locke, Geno Smith? You can't win games like that. And uh, look, Mr. Pete Carroll was right. He proved me wrong. He proved everybody wrong. Um, And we'll see how the year goes. They could have a terrible year still. But one week in... uh, It looks like Pete Carroll found a really good starting quarterback and one that actually probably works better for him. A guy who's going to take care of the ball, doesn't have an ego, isn't expensive. Um, I was just so happy for Geno Smith, man. And I'm really curious if he can keep it going as the year goes on. But what if he does play that way all year? You know, very few turnovers, good decision making. It's kind of an interesting and exciting thought. If Geno plays at that level on Monday night, not... Doesn't need to be incredible. Doesn't need to play like an MVP, but he plays like a franchise quarterback. He is never the problem. He's doing very well, making a couple big plays here and there. I I really don't know what to ha- do there. Do, do you draft a Bryce Young? Will you be able to? Because they might win too many games to even be possible to draft a guy like Bryce Young in next year's NFL draft. I very much did not expect Geno Smith to look that good. And... It was a very encouraging thing to watch. I loved it. You know, this year for Geno Smith is a really cool opportunity where he's a guy that was once expected to become a franchise quarterback. That was eight years ago. It's rare to get a second chance eight years after you miss your window to become a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And I don't know that that window is even necessarily opened, but it's a lot closer to opening than it was going into week one. And it's an opportunity this year for Geno Smith to show the world, hey, I'm, I, I missed my shot, but I can still play football, and I'm, I'm ready to prove myself. I hope he does. I don't know that he will. But it's so rare to get a second chance. Jameis Winston got one after he got replaced by Tom Brady in Tampa. He's now the Saints starting quarterback. We're seeing how that's going to go. Marcus Mariota got benched. He lost his job to Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. He had to spend two years as the backup quarterback in Vegas behind Derek Carr before he finally got a shot in Atlanta. So far, Geno Smith is doing very, very well. 
with his second chance. Who knows how it's going to go? Uh, but it's a cool story. The next three games for Geno Smith, you're playing the 49ers, Atlanta, then Detroit. That's a good opportunity for him. And I, I you know, Seattle does have two rookie tackles. They've got uh, first round pick, left tackle, Charles Cross uh, out of, I, I believe, Mississippi State. And then a rookie third round pick, uh, right tackle, Abe Lucas out of Washington State. Both of their rookie offensive tackles played very well against Denver. Is that going to continue? I'm not sure. Time will tell. That could be a very limiting factor for this offense in Seattle. But man, Geno Smith, I watched him in the preseason. He gained my respect. He took care of the ball, did some good stuff. This was big boy football, Monday night football, on prime time, in a regular season game, and Geno Smith played very, very well. Gained my respect and gained my attention. I, we've seen people have a great couple performances here and there. Gardner Minshew was a flash in the pan. Ryan Fitzmagic had a brief flash in the pan moment with Tampa. I don't know if Geno Smith can keep it going, but I am rooting for that. I really want to see that. I love watching quarterbacks succeed, and I love watching guys who've been overlooked surprise people. Geno Smith surprised me on Manana football. And uh, if he does well enough, like here, here's what's really interesting. Geno Smith is a cheap option at quarterback. And if he does well enough that they keep him next year, they're going to have to pay him a new contract. But he's, he's making like $1.5 million right now this year. And he's still going to be way cheaper than most quarterbacks, even with a new contract, which I would imagine is going to be something much more substantial, substantial than what he's making now. And if you have a cheap quarterback on your roster, you can build a great team around said quarterback. That's why people often go for a rookie quarterback on a, a, a low rookie contract because you can build a great team around a quarterback on a cheaper rookie contract. I think Seattle, if, big if, if Geno Smith keeps playing well, there's potential they could have a cheaper option at quarterback next year and build a great team and draft well around that guy. And uh, I, I think that's a fun potential future for Seattle. I really like that. And I, I find myself very, very much rooting for Geno Smith this fall. <clears throat> By the way, uh, the LA Rams, they lost week one. 49ers lost at Chicago. Uh, Arizona lost. I don't know about you, but I, I, I would love to find the person who had Seattle <laughs> leading the division, the NFC West after week one. I was not uh, a, a person who believed that could even be possible. I didn't think Seattle had an, uh, even a, a prayer to beat Denver, let alone their first in their division after one game. That's a hilarious, incredible thought. And uh, man, good for Seattle. <clears throat> All right. Um, how about Denver? Let's talk about Denver's perspective. In my opinion, Denver should have beat Seattle. On Monday Night Football. Uh, they were moving the ball a ton. They got stopped three different times on the goal line. Three separate times. They, uh, And that's, by the way, it's worth noting. Shout out to Seattle's defense. Seattle played great in the red zone. Denver had two fumbles on the goal line. One was on fourth and goal. That's kind of a guy extending for the, the touchdown. I don't know if that counts. But the next drive on third and goal, that was a fumble. No points on that drive. Um, they got stopped again later on third and goal. I was very surprised that Denver lost this game. I thought they were more talented. I thought they had a better quarterback. It was very much not the start of the Russell Wilson era that I was expecting. 
out of Denver. I, I really, I was like, man, they traded for this great quarterback. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Russ had two interceptions that should have been dropped. One by Quandre Diggs in the end zone. Probably the easiest interception he'll ever have in his life that he dropped. It was right in his hands. Uh, Jamal Adams dropped one as well. It was ugly. And I walked away wondering, what if Denver adds Russell Wilson to their team and somehow still finds a way to finish last in their division? That's a real possibility. Kansas City looks amazing. They were incredible week one. Uh, LA looks really good. I think the Raiders have a, they were a playoff team last year that got better this year. So the margins are incredibly small in that division, the AFC West. I mean, a good team is going to not make the playoffs in that division. It's really competitive. And, and clearly Denver is still figuring things out. Late in the game, they monumentally mishandled the clock. It was fourth and five. They're down one point, 16 to 17. The clock was running. And they had a first-time head coach with, and, and a coach and a quarterback combo that had not ever been in that situation together late in the game, managing the clock. They had three timeouts and still somehow let 40 seconds run off the clock. And people will say, well, they were planning to kick the field goal. Were they really planning to kick the field goal the entire time? I don't think they were. They let 40 seconds run off the clock. Uh, ultimately, they decided to kick a 64-yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five. Which, by the way, is a terrible look. You you just paid Russell Wilson $245 million. Yet, um, <laughs> on fourth and five, you trusted your kicker more than Russ. Fourth and five from 64 yards. By the way, uh, only one... 64-yard field goal has ever been made in NFL history. Matt Prater, 2013. In Denver, by the way, where you're at higher elevation and the ball goes farther. And this kick, 64 yards, would have tied the second longest kick in NFL history. The longest kick was last year, uh, Justin Tuck. Justin Tucker, excuse me, Justin Tucker, the kicker uh, for Baltimore. So there's a 66-yard field goal once in NFL history and a 64-yard field goal in NFL history. You're telling me in Seattle, <laughs> at sea level, by the way, you are going to try to kick the second longest field goal of all time on fourth and five rather than go for it on fourth and five with your potential future Hall of Fame quarterback. It was a bad look. It was terrible. Clearly, based on that, based on some of the stuff we saw, based on their problem problems in the red zone, Denver has a lot of stuff to clean up and fix. They're working on stuff. And other teams in that division, the AFC West, are not trying to figure stuff like that out. Kansas City is rolling. LA has continuity. They look good. The Raiders got a new coach, but a lot of stuff is the same from last year. And they got a good team. Denver's working on figuring a lot of stuff out. And Denver's going to be better week 13 than they are now. They're going to gel. They're going to figure it out. I can forgive, by the way, the clock mismanagement. It's a teaching moment. First-time coach, quarterback that never worked together. I, I actually have patience for that moment. But what I'm saying is a good Denver team is probably going to miss the playoffs this year because they're just behind all the other teams in their division. And, and I really think there's a good chance, even with adding an incredible quarterback, Russell Wilson, I think Denver is in danger, uh, and in fact, not only in danger, but more than likely 
going to finish last in their division again this year. All right, uh, let's give a shout-out to Chicago. The Bears beat the 49ers on Sunday. I did not expect that. It was awesome. It was so fun to watch. I'm really happy for Chicago. I'm happy for the Bears' new head coach, Matt Eberflus, uh, his first ever game in Chicago. They won. They were the underdog. It's pretty cool. Uh, Chicago was down 10 to nothing in the second half. And then they scored 19 unanswered points, three drives in a row. It was awesome to see. Uh, they got a turnover. They took a, uh, had an interception. They took the ball away from Trey Lance, the 49ers quarterback. Three Again, three touchdown drives in a row. I love that. And I was excited for Justin Fields, man. He had two touchdown passes. He ran around. He extended plays. He had one really sweet touchdown pass where he's extending a play. It's a broken play. He's rolling left. He flips his feet, throws the ball all the way back to the right side of the field for a touchdown to Dante Pettis. I love it. And I just, I think of this moment watching Justin Fields win week one. He's viewed as the franchise quarterback in Chicago. He's celebrating after beating the 49ers. And I just, I was like, man, this guy has come such a long way from his days as the backup quarterback stuck behind Jake Fromm at Georgia. Think of where he was a couple of years ago. He was clearly more talented, but he was stuck behind Jake Fromm, who Georgia has a history of sticking with their less talented quarterback, Jake Fromm, then Stetson Bennett over the more talented recruit, whether it's JT Daniels or Justin Fields. And think of where their careers have gone since then. Jake Fromm's a backup in Buffalo. Justin Fields is the man in Chicago. And I don't even know if Jake Fromm's even still in Buffalo. He might not have even made the team. I don't know. I really don't know. Justin Fields is awesome. And watching him win made me really happy on Sunday. Also, Justin Fields avoided big hits on Sunday. And there are two ways I mean that. Number one, uh, he slid. He protected himself while running the football. Didn't take any big hits. I love to see that. He's progressing and maturing as a quarterback. But number two, and I did not expect this at all, Justin Fields was only sacked two times on Sunday. I thought for sure. The 49ers defensive line, they're decorated. They got players everywhere. Dre Greenlaw, uh, Nick Bosa. I'm like, they are going to eat Justin Fields alive. That was just not the case. He only got sacked two times on Sunday. It was awesome. And I really thought Chicago had a very, very encouraging first game to start the year. Happy for Matt Eberflus. Happy for Justin Fields. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to see more. I'm really, really encouraged. I I'm surprised and happy for the Bears uh, and their fan base from Sunday. <clears throat> now, oh man, we got to talk about this. Um, in the same game, the 49ers' new starting quarterback, Trey Lance, had a really concerning stat line on Sunday at Chicago. He was 13 for 28 passing with 164 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. And my message after watching this game is that, hey, hey, 49ers fans, don't panic yet. Maybe there's time to panic, and that day may or may not come. But I think after week one, it's all good. It's fine. First of all, I, I watched the game, and Trey Lance actually made a couple really nice throws. I thought there was a throw on second and four where... It was beautiful to Ray Ray McLeod up and over the linebackers, but before a safety could get there, like there were flashes of greatness in this game on Sunday from Trey Lance. And by the way, 
this is only the guy's third ever NFL start. Like, let's cut the kid some slack. He's young, he's talented, he's growing. He played in his third ever starting game in the NFL. Can we can we calm down? It's okay. And then on top of that, conditions were horrible. Both quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, had a hard time throwing in the wet. Justin Fields had a couple balls that probably should have been picked off early in the game that I, I go like, look, he's having a hard time gripping the football. It's soaking wet. It was wet. It was rainy. It was muddy. By the end of the game, it was like playing a football game literally in a swamp. I mean, I, the ball was a mess. George Kittle, their star tight end, didn't play. That really hurt Trey Lance, I believe, as well. Yeah, like watching the game, Trey Lance has to be more consistent as a passer. He missed a couple shots that were open. He was not as accurate as I would have liked. But again, it was a really messy, ugly game. And I I think in a better scenario, in a game where, I mean, I just, I'm interested to see Trey Lance in a more normal situation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because I thought, yeah, I could have been more accurate, but I also thought he made fairly good decisions. The ball was often going to the right receiver. Like he was making the right decision within the offense, but I thought the conditions limited him a lot from getting the ball where he was trying to put it. He had one bad decision, sure, got picked off. Um, But honestly, I I really believe this. I thought that um, Trey Lance was not as bad as his stat line would make it appear. You know, the 49ers, next four games, they're playing Seattle, at Denver, the Rams, and at Carolina. And I I think by mid-October, we're going to really have a better understanding of who Trey Lance is as a quarterback and what his progress looks like. But I just don't know that you can judge this game so harshly when you, at least without factoring in the conditions and what was going on in the game. Yeah, it wasn't great. Did I want to see Trey Lance go out there and throw for 500 yards and six touchdown passes and show the world what he can do? Yeah, he didn't. But if you're a 49er fan, I wouldn't panic and automatically go, oh, we got to play Jimmy Garoppolo. We're terrible. No, it's going to be okay. Conditions were bad. They didn't have George Kittle. And let's wait and see how Trey Lance plays in a better, more realistic game scenario. Uh, By the way, Talanoa Hufunga. uh, I can't even say that. Talanoa Hufunga. uh, He he plays safety. He's, a, I believe, a fifth-round pick from USC. I know he played at USC. He's in his second year for the 49ers. Had a great game. He had an interception, had nine tackles against the Bears. I think he's a guy that, uh, watch out for him. The the 49er safety, uh, I'm going to screw up his name, Talanoa, Talanoa Hufunga. Uh, Hufunga, Hufunga, I don't know how you say his name. I apologize already for that. But man, the dude can play football. I loved watching him on Sunday. He was awesome. And that was pretty, pretty cool. Now, there is a group of people around the NFL that should panic, and that is Dallas Cowboys fans. They lost week one uh, to Tampa, 19-3. And, of course, the Cowboys starting quarterback, Dak Prescott, got hurt. On Monday, he got thumb surgery. Dak is out six to eight weeks. That's uh, really bad. And I want to read a question from Patreon about what happened because Nick wrote in on Patreon. Nick said this, Hey, Zach. As a Cowboys fan, I see all the additions the Eagles have made in the offseason. And the key guys the Cowboys have lost, Cooper, uh, Gregory, Collins, etc. Yet I still have faith that Dallas has a good chance to win the division. 
Do you think it will take an MVP type year from Dak for this to happen? Maybe a 40, 44 touchdown pass season with 10 to 13 interceptions kind of year. Do you give Dallas any kind of chance to win the division or is it Eagles 100%? Uh, Nick wrote this before Dak's injury. Hey, Nick, now it's Eagles all the way. Eagles are washing in Dallas. I'm sorry to say this. And I, I, read, I read your question today on the show because I thought it was kind of a funny, interesting time capsule that even before Dak Prescott's injury, Cowboys fans had realistic doubts that their team could win their division. Now the year is over. I would love for you to write in again, Nick. Like, how do you feel today? Because I would imagine you're you're panicking and and, and desperate and really sad. And I, I I'm I just man, I do not feel good if you're a Cowboy fan at all. And and frankly, in my opinion, I think your year is over. I I don't know how you're gonna get through six to eight weeks without your starting quarterback and still be in a position to compete and maybe make the playoffs by the end of the year. I think even with Dak, you were probably not going to make the playoffs. Now, oh boy, um, Cowboys fans, you're screwed. Uh, you're overpaying your running back a ton of money. You're paying Dak Prescott too much money. Now he's not even playing. I, I really, really, the Dallas Cowboys are in bad shape as a franchise and uh, things are not going well for them. All right, let's talk about Minnesota. The um, the Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers week one, 23-7. And my gosh, man, it was, such, it was such a big win for Minnesota. I was so happy for them because the game's in Minnesota. They got a new coach. They're playing the dominating team in their division. And the question going into the year for me with Minnesota was, are things actually going to be different this year? Every year, Minnesota's like, this is our year. Things are changing. We got Kirk Cousins. We got this. We got that. And every year, it's been okay, but your older brother, Aaron Rodgers, and the Green Bay Packers are, they're still there. They're still dominating, and it's its not going to change. Um, I, I thought things were different in this game in Minnesota between the Packers and the Vikings uh, first of all, the Vikings offense was awesome. Kirk Cousins was 23 for 32 passing, 277 yards, two touchdowns. Justin Jefferson, their star receiver, had nine catches for 184 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Kirk, by the way, zero turnovers. And when you have Kirk Cousins with zero turnovers, meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers, the opposing quarterback, has two himself, a fumble and an interception. That's that's different right there. Um the Vikings led 17 to nothing at halftime. And like I said, things were vastly different for Green Bay. Uh, both of their starting tackles, David Bakhtiari and Elgton Jenkins, were out with injuries. Uh, Aaron, again, two turnovers. Had a pick. One was The pick was before halftime. Ah, it's like almost a Hail Mary situation. I'm not too worried about that. But the fumble was bad. He got rocked. And there were a lot of growing pains for Aaron Rodgers with his young receiving core. I mean, he was literally throwing to... He had a completion to a practice squad guy, literally. Uh, Alan Lazard was out, so they had none of the top three receivers they had from last year even playing in the game. Uh, rookie receivers Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson had a couple moments where they were learning and showed their youth. In fact, the first play of the game, Christian Watson was wide open for a touchdown, and he dropped it. Should have been a 75-yard touchdown. Instead, it was no, no bueno. And... Uh, you know, Green Bay got stopped on the goal line at one point. It was not great. And uh, Green Bay looks vulnerable 
this year, especially right now, early in the year. I, I think by week 15, 16, the end of the year, Green Bay is going to be a different team. It's made progress and uh, the receivers will be better on the same page with Aaron and stuff like that. But uh, Minnesota, I mean, in my opinion, this division is up for grabs and Minnesota has a chance to capitalize on Green Bay being down and win this division. And it's really exciting for me because, uh, you know, their defense played great. Kirk Cousins finally has a coach who I think wants him and is willing to work with him and willing to build an offense that fits his needs. And it it looked like that on Sunday. And I'm just, I'm fired up, man. For Kevin O'Connell, the new head coach in Minnesota, it was a perfect start. I'm so, I watching him, you know, they had to, there was one second left uh, on the clock when uh, Jordan Love spiked the ball at the end of the game to kind of keep the game going. And, he was telling guys, hey, get back. We got one more second left in the game. But you saw Kevin O'Connell realizing, hey, we got one second left on the clock. I'm up 23 to 7. I'm winning my first game in the NFL. And I was so happy for the guy. I'm like, man, this is awesome. And uh, I just, I walked away from Sunday feeling really, really hopeful for Minnesota. I think this is the year, finally, where things could actually be different. They could win their division. The Packers are vulnerable. They got a good coach. They got a lot of weapons on offense. I, I'm just, man, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at home going, oh, boy. Like, I, maybe this is the year I'm not foolish and stupid for finally thinking things are going to be different in Minnesota. And uh, they certainly appear that way today. I want to say, this is an interesting thing. I just wanted, I looked it up because I was curious, and I might as well share it. Uh, there were six receivers drafted in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. I I did the research. I might as well share. I wanted to figure out how each of them did week one. Uh, So the first receiver drafted in 2022 was Drake London out of USC. He got drafted number eight overall by Atlanta. Week one against New Orleans, he had five catches for 74 yards. Uh, It was a loss, but he was solid. uh, had a solid day. Uh, The number 10 overall pick, Garrett Wilson, Went to the Jets against the Ravens week one. Four catches, 52 yards. Not awful. So far, I mean, a lot of the... Basically, every rookie receiver was, like, very fine. Four or five catches, 50 yards, roughly receiving. You know, Chris Olave, for example, the number 11 overall pick. Three catches, 41 yards on three targets for New Orleans. That's great. You know, Jarvis Landry was a dominating receiver in New Orleans on Sunday. Um, Or at least for New Orleans on Sunday. Traylon Burks, uh, the guy who went to Tennessee hoping to replace A.J. Brown. The number 18 overall pick had three catches for for 55 yards on five targets like that. Again, fine, solid. Um, even Jahan Dotson, who was the number 16 overall pick by Washington, I would categorize him as having a big day. He still only had three catches for 40 yards, but you know, two of his catches went for touchdowns. So that's awesome and, and good for him. Uh, now, because the number 12 overall pick, Jamison Williams, did not play. Jamison Williams is a guy... Drafted 12 overall by Detroit uh, out of Alabama. He tore his ACL in the national title game last year. So he's still recovering and will not play for a couple more weeks into the year. Uh, And because of that, I added a couple bonus guys. Because A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown, while they were not drafted during the 2022 NFL draft, they were traded during the draft. So, um, you know, for example, Hollywood Brown, you could argue basically was the 23rd overall pick for Arizona because they traded their 23rd pick to get him. Uh, Marquise Brown, four catches for 43 yards and a touchdown. Like, fine, solid. 
now, the the real winner here, the team who I think got the best value in the first round uh, was Philadelphia. They traded their first round pick to go get A.J. Brown. And week one with his new team, he had 10 catches for 155 yards, 13 targets. His longest catch was 54 yards. That's awesome. And I think of all the guys that were added to their teams, the two most impactful are going to be Jahan Dotson in Washington uh, and A.J. Brown. I've said that before. And so far, one weekend, that's actually appearing to be true, which I think is kind of fun and interesting. Now, uh, one other guy worth noting is that the 34th overall pick, uh, who was drafted in the second round technically, uh, but it's the second pick of the second round, so it's almost a first-round pick. The Packers drafted Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. He had two catches for 34 yards. One of those catches, by the way, was on the final play of the game, kind of in garbage time, just a throwaway. Like, I oh, might as well get a completion here. Um, but what's notable about Christian Watson, unfortunately, is that on the first play of the game, he dropped what would have been a 75-yard bomb for a touchdown, and uh, it was painful. I was like, oh, man, if you're Aaron Rodgers, the look on his face was like, really, dude? I can't, I cannot handle this right now. I'm walking away. Aaron Rodgers was not happy. All right, guys, to end the show today, something's touching my feet. I don't know what it is. What do you think it is? It's a, it's a sock. Hey, look, there's a sock. I was wondering this whole show, like, what what's touching me? It's a, a Nike Elite sock. Fun, fun times in the truck. Um, I'm going to read some questions from Patreon. If you want to write into the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. Uh, it literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Uh, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show if you submit one, but I do guarantee I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. And uh, question number one today comes from Zachariah. He says, hey, Zach, last episode you said that Alabama looked great and Ohio State looked suspect after Ohio State beat fifth-ranked Notre Dame by two scores. This weekend makes me think that Ohio State has an edge over Alabama after the Tide struggled to win against an unranked Texas team with both of their quarterbacks injured. If Quinn Ewers didn't go down in the first quarter, I fully believe that Alabama would have been upset today and would be questionable to return to the playoffs before they even start conference play against the SEC. What are your thoughts on this game and Alabama as a whole? And then he goes, edit Ohio State to Bama comparison aged very poorly in the span of minutes. So what he's referring to is that um, he's referring to how impressive Ohio State's win over Notre Dame looks after Notre Dame got upset by Marshall. (laughs) So... I don't know. I here's here's how I want to answer this question. Honestly, I already talked about Texas, Alabama, um, but Alabama's ranked number two in the nation. Ohio State's ranked number three, and I hope it just stays that way because I really want to see them play each other in a college football playoff game. Let Georgia be one. I think Georgia probably should be number one. Um, whoever, maybe USC is going to get in fourth. I'll say that now. What what's the date? Write it in. It's September uh, 14th. Might get that right. Probably will. I think we're going to have USC 4, Ohio State 3, Alabama 2. Maybe they flip that. Probably probably will flip that because of how things are going to work out with the conference title game. Georgia 1. So it'll be Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, uh, Alabama 3, USC 4 after Michigan loses to Ohio State later in the year. Um, 
But I, I, I think that Alabama-Ohio State would be a great game. Fun, interesting, close matchup. I want to see C.J. Stroud play against Bryce Young. And uh, I hope they finish the year ranked 2-3 and three so we can get that. Because I really desperately want to see them play each other later on this year. And I worry that if, you know, based on how the SEC is going to work out, uh, Georgia will play Alabama in the SEC title game. And then, unfortunately... Uh, that'll move Alabama down to being the fourth-ranked team, and we're not going to see them uh, play each other. So I want to see them, meaning Ohio State and Alabama. So I'm rooting for that to happen. I want that to happen, and uh, we will see if it does, in fact, happen. Cade writes in and says, should Cade McNamara, sorry, Carter writes in, Carter says, should Cade McNamara ever play for University of Michigan again? J.J. McCarthy averaged 20.8 yards per pass. He went 11 for 22 passing, had a 16-yard run, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Jim Harbaugh put McNamara in for garbage time, and he was terrible against Hawaii. Thank you, Carter. Um, No, Cade McNamara should never be the starting quarterback at Michigan ever again, unless unless J.J. McCarthy gets hurt. Then fair enough. Um, Here's my only question. Why was it so hard? Why, why did we have to go through this weird process of Cade McNamara starts week one, J.J. McCarthy starts week two? It's like, was it really that close that you couldn't decide? J.J. McCarthy is so much better, it's not even funny. More talented, more exciting. I don't know if it's the leadership on the locker room. I don't know what's going on there, but I don't know why it was a decision at all. J.J. McCarthy is way more talented. I, that's who I've been rooting for the entire time. And I, Carter, like you, was kind of like, Really? Cade McNamara, why, why are we even considering this option? I don't even understand. I don't know why it was last year like that, too. You should have started J.J. McCarthy last year at Michigan. He would have made mistakes, but let him figure it out. Let him grow. Let him learn. Now he's behind the eight ball. I, it's been infuriating watching Michigan recently with them at Cade McNamara. Dude, J.J. McCarthy's right there. He's talented. He's fun. I don't know why it took Harbaugh so long. To move on for McNamara, but I'm glad they did, and I'm ready for the J.J. McCarthy era at Michigan. Uh, Chiago uh, writes in, sorry, Chiago, Chiago, Chiago. It's a, it's actually a Chinese name. Looks like Chicago without a C. Uh, he writes in and says, "Hey Zach, new Patreon supporter. I'm a Michigan. Whoa, no, not a Michigan. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan." And I'm tired of the Kirk Cousins narrative that everyone regurgitates. I watched every Vikings game last year, and sure, there were some bad games, but his stats really stood out to me. Similar to the Deshaun Watson year from 2020, strictly football stats only, they both were 33 uh, touchdown passes with seven interceptions. Another point I wanted to make was that the Vikings defense undoubtedly was the reason why the team was held back last year. There were many drives at the end of that game where Kirk you know, at the end of that year where Kirk put the team on his back and got the go-ahead field goal or touchdown just to have the other team come back. There were at least nine games where the game was decided in the final minutes. Your coverage slash analysis of the Vikings and Kirk Cousins has been similar to the national media's, uh, and I just hope that this is your actual opinion after watching the tape. I'm a huge supporter of SOS. Hope you're doing well and continue to do so. Thanks for looking at this with your eyeballs. Uh... Chia, Chia Go. And then he says, P.S. My name is pronounced Chia like Chia Pet and Go or Gao uh, 
like gout, but without the T. So Chia Gao. Chia Chia Gao. Chia Gao? I want to say Chiago, but I think of Shigo from uh, Kim Possible. I'm not making fun of you. I it's a name I've never encountered before. It's very cool. I'd love to hear more about it actually. So send me a message on Patreon. Let's talk. Um So I expect Kirk Cousins to have the best year of his career this year. I don't know what I said in the past. Um, I mean, I I legitimately believe that he struggles in big moments. I think Kirk has a history uh, of getting tense and nervous and pent up. And, um, you know, I I think of that moment before halftime where he kneeled instead of uh, spiked the ball, right? Little things like that. He's not great against detail with details at the end of a game. Uh, I remember the pick six he threw against Chicago. Uh, and I have a hard time forgiving him for that. But let's forget the past and say, I'm willing to say Mike Zimmer did not make Kirk Cousins feel wanted or appreciated or supported. Fair enough. So let's see how he does now with a new head coach who legitimately does support him and has built an offense to work for him. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be awesome. I'm excited to see that. And uh, Chia Gao, um, I, I hope that um, you respect that because I'm, I'm very hopeful for the Vikings this year. And I really think that, um, yeah, the pressure's on Kirk to to deliver and do well. But the defense looks better. The Packers are down. And if you score enough points, it doesn't matter what your defense does. And I think this year they can score so many points that teams aren't going to be able to keep up with them. And I think that, that really, really excites me about Minnesota. Logie writes in last question of the day. Logie says, I was at the Broncos game in Seattle and I'm so glad I went. The atmosphere was amazing. Although I was disappointed to see how mad everyone is at Russ because it was honestly time for him to go. That's why we traded him. What do you think is the hostility towards Russ in Seattle fair? Personally, as a Hawks fan, I just appreciate all the good times and can see that it was time to part ways. It was time to part ways. Um, Russ gave Seattle a Super Bowl. They should never be mad at him. Although he dumped them. He said, I want out. I want to leave. And I think there's nothing wrong with booing a guy. I thought that was awesome, actually. And I, I work at a restaurant. Uh, I was working and waiting tables while the game was happening. It was We have a bar section. And uh, the game is on. And people were like, Oh, Russ still can't, you know, he's getting sacked. Like they were saying, you know, my, my manager even was like, you know, hey, new year, same Russ. You blame the offensive line on us, but you're still struggling with your offensive line. It's kind of funny. Like he, people were tired of Russell Wilson's complaining about the organization and tired of feeling like it was always the organization's fault and never Russell Wilson's fault. And uh, they're entitled to that opinion. And I, I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see who does better with the breakup? I, I think it was just time for them to, to move on. Um, Russ worked better in Seattle early in his career when he didn't make a ton of money and wasn't a superstar yet. Um, it, it's interesting that it's true, but it, it is true. Russ grew into something more than Seattle, bigger than Pete Carroll, bigger than the team and bigger than the coach. Um, when you become a superstar... What comes along with that is more power, more personality, uh, and and a different level of attention. And I don't think that worked very well with Pete Carroll, frankly. Um, I I don't think it was good for anybody. I think it was time to move on. And I don't know. I, I have no problem. It's funny. I talked to a guy 
a friend of mine is a, a broadcaster who used to live in, um, he grew up in the Northwest. Uh, I'm not going to say who I was talking to, but he was like, you know, they're not going to boo Russell Wilson in Seattle. Like, come on. I'm, I'm from there. Like, it, you know, the people are nice up there. And I'm like, you clearly haven't been to Seattle in a long time. The Northwest is a different place. And, and I thought it reminded me of Philadelphia or Chicago or New York. And I, I like them booing him. That's, that's what you do. You compete. You boo the guy. He left you. He dumped you. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an opinion either way, really. I don't really care. I, I, like, I guess I do. I liked Seattle booing Russell Wilson. I thought it was, that was fun. And uh, I know it hates anybody. I don't think there's real animosity there. But there is frustration that, you know, Seattle always got blamed. And Russ never once was like, what, what can I do differently? All right, uh, I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to talk about Form of the One the rest of the podcast. If you don't like Form of the One, now's your chance to uh, opt out. But if you're an F1 fan, welcome. On Sunday, Max Verstappen won the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. Uh, I love Monza, by the way. It's a fun track. And right now, Max Verstappen is completely dominating Form of the One. He's won five races in a row. He started this race in P7, seventh on the grid. Uh, He won... He was just cruising through everyone until he took the lead on lap 13. Uh, Ferrari had the lead for a little while with Charles Leclerc. And they even, credit to Ferrari, they tried a different strategy. Uh, They stole an early pit stop uh, with a virtual safety car. They tried, they got like 10 seconds extra out of it. Um, And it still wasn't enough. I mean, the reality was it didn't matter what Ferrari did because Max and Red Bull just had so much pace on Sunday that Ferrari, they did their own thing. It was good for them, but... They were not going to beat Red Bull at all. Uh, Max got first. Charles Leclerc got second for Ferrari. George Russell got third to round out the podium. Carlos Sainz, the other Ferrari, got fourth. Lewis Hamilton got fifth for Mercedes. Sergio Perez got sixth. Lando Norris got seventh. Pierre Gasly got eighth. And here's why I read all the way down to P9. Um, Nick DeVries got uh, P9 Filling in for Alex Albin, who had appendicitis and got his appendix taken out. Nick DeVries got P9 in a Williams. That's incredible. I, I, his F1 debut got two points, got P9 in a Williams, by the way. I love that. Can't wait to see what this guy can do in the future uh, with more F1 time under his track. And I want to see this guy drive in a better car. Like uh, Nick DeVries, on my radar. Let's see what he can do. I want to see him drive more in Formula 1. Um... I believe Nicholas Atifi is the driver for Williams because his family has a ton of money. Can we get the guy out of there? Nick DeVries, I, I would way rather watch Drive. I, I, he's exciting and interesting, and that's really cool. Um, the only controversy of this race, really, was that with six laps left to go, Daniel Ricciardo uh, pulled his McLaren off to the side of the track with engine trouble. And then the race ended under a safety car condition, which... It was frustrating. I never like ending a race, you know, behind a safety car. I like competition. I want competition. I would have preferred they red flag the race, clear the track, and do a standing start to end it for like, hey, get a standing start. You get five more laps. That sounds fun. I want action. I don't mind having chaos. I would have loved that. I'm sad we didn't get that. I understand that people would argue, well, Red Bull earned the lead to this point. Sure, but... I want entertainment. I don't want to watch a, a race that finishes with everyone going at half speed and following a, a streetcar. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I wish they'd red flag the race, and I hope I'm not alone in that. 
Um, after the race, here are the standings in Formula One. In the driver's standings, Max Verstappen has a massive lead. He's got 335 points in first. He's over 100 points ahead of Charles Leclerc, who's in second with 219 points. Sergio Perez is in third with 210 points. George Russell is in fourth with 203. Carlos Sainz is in fifth with 187 points. And Lewis Hamilton in uh, P6 right now on the grid uh, in the, F- the driver's standings with 168 points. In the team or constructor's standings, uh, Red Bull has 545 points there. Firmly in first, way ahead of Ferrari in second, who's got 406 points. Third is Mercedes with 371 points. Fourth is Alpine with 125 points. Fifth is McLaren with 107 points. And uh, I I don't know. Not a lot happened this weekend in Formula 1. It was like, okay, Nick DeVries is exciting. Red Bull's dominating everybody. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, the year is waning because of how much Max and Red Bull are just dominating everyone else and kind of running away with the world championship. Um, you know, the next race is on October 2nd at Singapore. I'll watch it. It'll be fun, but I'm losing excitement as the championship race is less and less interesting. And I'm actually begging you guys, if you have a, a side storyline, you're paying attention to inform the one that you're excited about. Let me know because I, I am just slowly going Okay, Max won. Now what? Right? Like I, I, I need something else to grab my attention in Formula One. If you have any thoughts, write and let me know. What what keeps you watching? What keeps you interested in a year like this where um you know, we, we were so spoiled last year with Lewis and Max and this year Max is running away with it and I'm I'm losing interest and excitement because of how out of the question um the winner of the F1 world title is going to be. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. Uh, we did our first ever podcast uh, on the mainland, at least first one for a while since we moved back from Hawaii. Indoors, believe it or not. Like, look, I can't. That's the most I can open my door. You hear it? That's it. That's all I can go. Uh, I can't. Oh, it feels. It's really cool out here. It's very nice. I can't get out of here very easily. So anyway, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, bum bum bam, we are done.